Tony and Jason, I want to welcome you to a special edition of the Tony and Jason show. You know, we're scheduled to get together on the 29th during our NEARS virtual conference, but we had a bit of a surprise this weekend when it was announced CP was going to purchase KCS. So why don't we just start with the timing? Why did it come out on the weekend almost at midnight? What's, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it, it got it, it got leaked to the press. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw it Saturday night uh, late and um, you know that's why I think you had a Sunday afternoon conference call. I've been a, a, an analyst on Wall Street now for 22 years. Uh, this is the first Sunday afternoon conference call I've ever attended, but I think they sort of were forced to do it. I'd love to get Tony's opinion on this. Yeah, it's the same thing. I, we were talking before, John. I, I was watching uh, college basketball sort of half-heartedly, and I happened to look at my, you know, my smartphone, and I saw that the FT had broken the story Saturday night, very close to midnight. The initial story had the uh, incorrect assumption that the STB, the, the regulatory body, had already pre-approved the deal. I knew that would be impossible. So I actually spent a long time wondering whether this was a true story or not. And it wasn't confirmed. I began to believe it actually was happening, but I didn't get official confirmation until six in the morning the next day before the conference call, you know, six hours before the call. So it was unusual. Somehow the story leaked. Somebody is getting rewarded in the journalism world and somebody's probably getting a good yelling at in the financial slash rail world. So I spent some time just looking through some of the blogs and all of people talking about this. And it was alluded to possibly they had to get Keith to agree to stay on for another five years or so to make this deal possible. And that might have something to do with the timing. Any insight on that? When you say timing, you mean like announcing it Saturday night or? Yeah, they may have, may have been negotiating with them or could that just be well, they could have waited a whole Monday bunch of people morning. talking about a whole bunch of things. It wouldn't have mattered. I mean, once you, once you, you know, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not privy to the conversations with Keith. You know, my, my guess is, you know, he's not, he's not an old, old man. So my guess it wouldn't take much to get him to, to, to sign on an extension. But like, even, even if that was an issue, you could still wait until Monday to announce it or Tuesday. It wouldn't, that wouldn't be the reason why you he, would push a Sunday. He's the only CEO, um, you know, contractual signing that is sort of a market mover, you know, potentially, but not so that you would have had to do a weekend announcement, as Jason says. I think if you're going to do the deal and, and you're going to be rewarding the, the, the buyout company, Kansas City Southern, with stock of the new company, you need to say that you're a superstar CEO is going to be there to, to get these synergies accomplished. So I think the deal happened in the contract in that order, right? You need Keith for this deal to work. I mean, you know, I'm not going to so I think that was a big part of it. I mean, to me, going on just to jump to the next st step, this is the, I was surprised. We were all surprised, but I'm looking back on it or thinking more about it. Uh, this is the only deal out there involving the major, the class one railroads that could combine that actually might be a stabilizing impact on the rail industry as opposed to a destabilizing, you know, we're all going to merge. There's going to be two railroads. It's going to be merger palooza and all that. And then for two reasons, one, you remove Kansas City Southern, which is long thought to be a flashpoint, you know, from play. You combine the two smallest class ones together and give them a little more heft, um, although they'll still be the smallest in, in combination. But they're not, you know, they now have a bigger seat at the table, if you will. Uh, and also, we just alluded to it, Keith. The fact that Keith had a contract up meant that, you know, fast money types could envision shoehorning them into another railroad as they did with Hunter Harrison before. So, you know, Keith, 
not on purpose, but de facto, was, it was it could potentially be uh, could have been a destabilizing factor if you thought me and some activist investors could get Keith into Company X. Well, now we know he's staying, and we now we know the, this company is staying, and, and so they're not going to be a fight between other class ones over the the bones of Kansas City Southern. You know, these things I think actually add a layer of stability. I don't know if you agree with that, Jason. No, I, you know, I, look, I I think in terms of further industry consolidation, we've been very public about this. We don't think this is going to be signaling another round. You know, I know some of the initially, you know, Norfolk and CSX were up when on the announcement, but you know, I, I just think that's you know trading by people that that don't know the industry that well, yes. quite frankly. Um, so you know, we we don't think it's going to lead to another round of consolidation. You know, uh, you know, I will say this: I I, I do say it's going to make it interesting in the industry over the next couple of years because undoubtedly, no matter what the combination, no matter how much sense. Tony and I might think it makes, there's gonna be people upset with the fact that there is another com uh, combination in the rail space. And so it'll be interesting to see what some in the shipping community actually have to say, even though that this is an end-to-end -end merger and, and it shouldn't uh, eliminate competition in the marketplace. But you know, for me, the interesting thing is going to be, you know, number one, you know, just how much freight we can bring you know, off the highway in a modal shift onto the rails. I think if you can improve your service product that's going to be a huge opportunity for uh, the new CPKCS. And uh, I think on top of that, you know, other railroads are going to lose business. Absolutely yeah. going to happen. Um, the, the question is, you know, sort of who's going to be the, the best and who's going to be the worst out there. You know, we're, we're working through some stuff, trying to, trying to do some studies on that. We'll see. But uh, th those, are, those, are the, those are the big things right now. And it, and it seemed very, very uh, painfully obvious that that $780 million synergy number that uh, that CP management gave on the call was uh, extremely conservative. And, and I think they even admitted so yes. uh, in questioning. You know, they are already at, at already a year in to the CMQ, much smaller deal. They're already at their sort of third year number for revenue synergies on that deal, you know, uh, in one year. So I, I, listen, there are no two for ones, which is that classic case where a shipper could have complained that I had two rails serving me and now I have one and I'm gonna be dominated by them. You know, I always argued, did they take the highway and move it also? But, but you know, nonetheless, there, there it was, uh, there aren't any of this. So it's gonna be hard uh, for shippers to complain, but they will um, because that's what they're trained to do. And I don't mean, I'm not picking on them. Everybody, one insider in this said, there will be a line around the block with everybody with their hand out, whether it's public uh, or whether it's in private negotiations, in order to make this smoother, they'll say, well, let me have access to this or that. That's just the nature of this, you know, almost 200 year old industry and how it's been, we've been brought up to do it. You have, you have trade associations and those lawyers are paid to do that. You have uh, your own lawyers, you know, there's a whole world out there that springs in action on this and says, give me mine, give me my, my pound of flesh. So I don't know that they have the moral right. And, and I'm, not, I'm not, that's probably too harsh. You know, this is an, a pro-competition merger. The first one, Jason, I think we've really seen where synergies are three or four X the economies. All the others have been about cost saving and removing yeah. duplicative effort. This is truly the kind of merger that people used to argue for, but it doesn't mean that those, whether we hear about it or not, you won't have a phone call from some stakeholder somewhere saying, hey, this is a great deal, I love it, but just give me this. You know, the interesting thing, a, a couple of people that I've spoken to, and I've spoken to a ton of investors over the last couple of days, were, were surprised by the fact that there's going to be, over time, no real headcount impact. 
And like in the beginning, yes, but with the synergies, I think what we heard the management team say is we're going to have to hire. So net net, it's almost going to be a wash in a transaction. And, and I think that's, you know, very unheard of in, in a deal this size that two companies will get together and there's going to be no, no real long-term headcount impacts. Well, there will be obviously some headquarter type, you know, you don't need- In the beginning, right, right, in the beginning. And, but the mayor of Kansas City has endorsed this and you would figure that's the headquarters that might suffer the job loss. You know, I, I agree that, you know, this is truly end to end with no two to one. So you're not saying we have two or maybe more, you know, terminals or hump yards in this location and we only need one, right? That was the reason for UPSP and other things like that, right? This, on the other hand, this is all about, we're adding on the end. And so we need all those train crews and we hope to make them busier. So you've touched on a few of these points, but let's last at the end, I believe it was the end of last year, they word off a buyout by Blackstone. September. And so now CP, I think for CP, this is like third times to charm. You know, they went after the NS about two years ago and then another yeah, one. That was a hostel though. That was a hostel. And, yep. and it was, they never actually applied, right? That was more discussion. You know, there was no formal application. And by the way, that was never, ever, ever gonna happen. This will. So who's the winners and who's the losers with this? I, I, I think the obvious one is, is, is KCS shareholders, right? So they're, they're the ones, you know, that have, that have seen their, their, their stock price go higher. And, and look, full credit uh, to Pat Ottensmeyer and his team for telling Blackstone it's not enough. You know, forget about the value of this transaction. They got their stock price by themselves above that level prior to the announcement of this deal. So, you know, they, they were proved right before that. Now they're just looking like, you know, wow, we're really right. So that, you know, they, they helped shareholder value there a great deal by not jumping at that transaction. And, and as Tony well knows, I mean, that's a risk-free transaction. Both Tony and I feel this deal, I think, is going to close. But like in, 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 a, in a PE standpoint, there's really no risks in those transactions. The STB doesn't have to give approval or anything like that. So, uh, you know, they walked away from a risk-free transaction largely to go into a transaction with some risk, but you know they're creating shareholder value. So number one, I think the value is there. Longer to longer term, you know, we we increased our price target on CP. We like the deal. We think it's good for the uh, the, the CP uh, shareholders. Look, if you're a cross border trucker right now, uh, I think you're going to lose some uh, some potential business because I think some freight's coming back onto the railroads in this play. And then I also think that some of the other class ones and short lines are going to potentially lose some business to this com, uh, combination over time and love to get Tony's thoughts. Well, well, I agree with everything you're saying. I would just really want to strongly emphasize, I know you did, but say that I think obviously Kansas City Southern and they're, they're with the uh, the trust, they're going to get $11 no matter what for share. You know, they get, there's a guarantee there. So they, they get really protected and they get, you know, they, they show that $20 a share was too little. Not only do they get more than that, but they have now participation in the new co which I think is going to create great value. So they'll then, you know, when we want to make the scoreboard of how do they do versus that uh, um, infrastructure combination offer, you know, the scoreboard will be written when the deal closes, but it'll be continue to be written as, as the new company gain, you know, if it does what it says it's going to do. And again, I, I think also those numbers are conservative. So, uh, you know, they clearly, uh, you know, I, I think so there's benefit for both sides, clearly benefit for a lot of shippers, right? There's nobody who's going to be hurt by it. Uh, because they're they're losing rail access, so you you know you you've increased their optionality. Uh, the, uh, there are going to be some truckers, sure, 
uh, and some class ones. I don't know, Jason, I'd love to talk to you further about where we see short lines losing. From what I've heard, they've been mostly supportive in, in kind of, uh, you know, not official letters yet, but, you know, because everybody might want to get something. But, you know, the Eastern carriers benefit. Um, you know, I think, I don't know if I were to look at it without having the numbers, and they did not on that Sunday call provide anything but kind of a vague outline of where the business was coming from. I would say that, you know, the UP, in order, UP, BNSF, and then CN, see loss, you know, see potential, you know, competitive rail loss. Uh, but for all of them, it's sort of a bad day, not a bad week at the office, right? I mean, they're, you know, UP will still retain, the, you know, be the biggest carrier to the Mexican border. We'll still have over a quarter ownership of the biggest carrier in Mexico. We'll still have what's considered to be the best franchise in, in freight railroading in the world. So, you know, this is a this is like uh, getting a jab in the first round of the boxing fight for them, not a knockdown. Yeah, no, by no means do we think this is a knockdown. And, and Tony, yeah, I, you know, why don't you, why don't we talk in about a week or so and I'll have some more data to, to yeah, What you is your thinking, Jason? Where, where would you rank the, you're not, I mean, I don't think it's losers like you would sell their stock, but where would you rank? Oh, I, 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 I don't think so either. I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you, CN and, 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 and UP obviously are going to be impacted, but, you know, I, I do think there's some impact for CSX and, and Norfolk as well. Again, I, I have heard about some potential short line loss. Again, I don't want to get too much into this um, because we're doing some work on it. So, but, uh, so, but so my initial conversations with, uh, I would just say, Big Eastern Railroads, without naming who the Big Eastern Railroads are, uh, it, it has been, you know, I, they seem to recognize this is a pro-competitive deal, that this is not like other deals, and that while I'm sure they would like things, that this is uh, probably, uh, quote, good for the industry, unquote, as somebody at one of those carriers told me. Well, you know, what, what I would say is, look, I ultimately believe, and I've, I've said this, I just don't know when, I ultimately believe we will have a transcontinental railroad in the United States, ultimately. I don't know when that's going to come. But when your I hair think, goes back, Jason. Well, it, it might, it might, uh, six feet under. Um, but, uh, but a successful CPKCS deal is, is going to be necessary for a, any future deal for sure because yeah. the industry does not exactly have the greatest of track records. If you look at the breakup of Conrail by CSX and Norfolk Southern or the UP and the SP, that was a, a disaster for many reasons. Um, so this is an absolute worked. I'm sorry to talk over you. Well, go ahead, Tony. I said, ultimately all those mergers were- Ultimately, but like after a lot of pain, of right? Right, very painful systems integration, culture integration, network integration. They all said they'd be accretive in the first year or the second year, and they certainly were not. But they were also necessary to create the modern, you know, you had to have a UPSP and a BNSF to be in the position we're in now. Uh, I believe you think that'll happen, and I got to say that I think it, it might happen too, but I think it shouldn't. This deal is structured in such a way that the STB, as much as they want to say something about railroads, can't really say anything unless there's some kind of big protest because there aren't any two-for-ones a transcontinental deal will have the shippers in an uproar allowing the SUV to come in. And I think uh, putting on so many conditions on the deal to take away the benefits. That's my fear. Opening access, you know, that the SUV and the government will ruin the deal for shareholders if they do this for, for some things. This deal has been presented in a way that the STB can't. And I'm not saying they're bad people. They are in an interventionist mode. They're still mad about PSR. They still wish Hunter were around so they could get into the ring with him again. 
you know, and, and so they would love an opportunity for something involving the two, you know, a combination of the big four in the U.S. in order to have the shippers come in and demand stuff. In this one, they're going to take every possible day they can and look for something to do, and we'll find ultimately there isn't anything to do. In so, opinion. you know, you alluded a little bit to this, but you have two different cultures. Obviously, CP's way ahead on the PSR, and KCS has been implementing it. So I'm a shipper. You know, I probably went through the pain of PSR with CP, maybe feeling a little bit of it from KCS. Now we put them together, maybe bring it a little bit more experience. Obviously, Keith worked with Hunter, all that, a little bit more skilled in that. But as a shipper, what pain am I going to feel? Am I really going to be happy or... What do you see forthcoming as far as cultural change goes and the way they're, you know, KCS, I always looked at a little bit more of a, a big short line, maybe, and CP is obviously the big class one. So what, you know, just in your experience, just in your interactions, what would you say the shippers should be on the lookout for? Well, look, if you, if, if you go to our proprietary surveys that we put out every quarter, uh, KCS has been at the tops in terms of when we ask shippers, you know, who, who has the best operational performance uh, according to them. Um, so they've been the number one railroad. You know, I, I don't expect a lot of that to change going forward for people. Um, there will be change, though. Un undoubtedly, over time, when there's a when there's a big deal like this, there, there's going to be people who stick around, people who don't. There's going to be, you know, you're going to be moving around accounts or sharing accounts. So there's going to be change on the on, on from the shippers end for sure. I don't think there's going to be a drastic amount of change, like we saw in the past, because when you saw PSR at, at implemented at, at CP or CSX, there were there was huge headcount reductions along the way and, and huge consolidations, and and so it it for, from a shipper standpoint, it seemed like things were changing almost on a, on a weekly or monthly level. They didn't know what was going on. You're not really going to get any of that in, in this, uh, in this transaction, at least in my estimation. So I think it's going to be a lot smoother for the shippers in general. I'd love to see what Tony thinks. Yeah. So right. Since this is not cost-based and when you talk about a cost-based, you know, reductions in cost, you are talking about losing your salespeople or customer, you know, people felt that through PSR. You're talking about, closing yards which could have been yards you used i mean that that i think ultimately psr works and work is working but you know there was a lot of operational and other kinds of changes imposed here the change you're getting if you're a shipper is you know potentially a single longer single line access fewer handlings potentially that's where the other railroads could potentially be losing business uh to me i don't see um you know any real grounds for concern of course anytime there's a merger but I'll say a lot of folks, Kansas City Southern is well avert, well along in the PSR uh, road to the extent they can. They really run two systems. They, they call it one, but you know there are different work rules south of the border. Uh, they've had some operational challenges in the south. They may rank high on, on Jason's polls, and I think that's really interesting. But I do know there's some shippers who actually think that CP's steely discipline could actually help them accelerate service recoveries in Mexico. Um, but... For the most part, I think these guys are going to say, you know, uh, that this is something that's probably in their best interest, gives them more choice, you know, uh, and while it doesn't mean they won't ask for something in, in return for their sign, you know, the trade association getting the letter sent into the SDB, uh, I think they're going to be mostly supportive. You know, the question is, do the other railroads that, that Jason is working on trying to, to quantify the impact, do they mount any opposition? Uh, you know, what I've heard from shippers so far is 
is uh, yeah, this has got this looks pretty good, um, and maybe it's, TP can help solve some of these operational issues in Mexico. You know, not uh, not the kind of thing you would have heard in prior mergers attempts when they would already been you know circling the wagons and getting out the the you know hardware. So can as I just say one thing though, yep. I wanted to say two things, two two quick points. These are two good management teams uh, getting together. So it's not, although there may be some issues south of Monterey, this is not, you know, an issue of a company being saved. It's not like Hunter coming to a new railroad and, and quote, fixing it, unquote. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out. And the other thing here is uh, uh, right when he started as a CEO of CP, Keith Creel, who was well regarded as the protege of Hunter, uh, almost a mini me, if you will, I mean, he has grown well beyond that role, right? Now he's affecting a marketing-based merger, not a cost one. His first call or second call, uh, earnings call, he talked about the need to re-engage with stakeholders that might have been overlooked during the rush to PSR change. And I think that goodwill is going to carry forward. The fact is that, you know, there were lots of struggles with labor under Hunter PSR. You know, he re-engaged with them, which, you know, there were a lot of shippers who had not heard, you know, under Hunter, there wasn't even a chief marketing officer. Now there's been John Brooks for a while. So I think that management team, and without maybe knowing that this is what they were setting the table for, has set the table for better transition as they talk to stakeholders about this. Yeah, you know, I, I think if you go back, John, to when Keith Creel spoke at Nears in Baltimore, I can just remember him, you know, right after his, his speech engaging with multiple customers on, on, on some of their, hey, listen, we have this issue on your line, can you help me? And he was right there hands on, you know, you know, trying to resolve the issue. So, you know, I, I think someone like that is, is, is welcomed by the industry to take on in a larger role, if you will, of a larger company. Yeah. So, so I, I guess one question is, so th this is the big news of 2021. Do you think there's gonna be any more shakeups coming our way? Anything else we should be looking out for? Not in terms of mergers, no. No, no mergers. Yeah, we, we have an infrastructure bill, possibly, that could have all sorts of impacts. One of the things that it could have very positive things, but I do worry about mandating two-man crews in, through legislative process, which may or may not happen, but that's a concern. Uh, we have not heard about the labor negotiations that have been going on. I mean, they've been very good, all parties there, of keeping that out of our public arena for Jason and I and our peers. But uh, the new labor contract that could happen this year, that's obviously going to have impacts. And I'm not talking about just about the cost structure and, and Jason's models. That'll be very important to look at the inflator and all that. But also, what are the work rule changes and how will they adjust to new technologies coming in that may be labor saving, for example? So there are things out there from a big picture perspective. And then, of course, you know, just the general day to day. I mean, the world changes so fast. You know, how is the technological improvement happening? How is the recovery ongoing? You know, when we finally get to a base clear comparison time, what are railroads looking like? I mean, right now, every year's had a big asterisk, a very big one, right? Pandemic. So we need to know, you know, when, when is, what's normal and under normal circumstances, how railroads who are now at PSR 2.0 level, how are they doing in terms of restoring growth to this, you know, early cyclical growth to the system? We're not there to, I, we can't make that comparison yet because, you know, starting starting in, in the spring, they'll be comparing to no volume, right? Jason, would you like to add anything? You know, again, you know, I, I think longer term, you know, the rails over the next 10 years are, are going to have to sort of come face to face with the challenges of an automated trucking industry, because 
that's happening. Uh, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Um, you already see, you know, companies out there right now, you know, doing full origin destination pair runs of several hundred miles using an autonomous truck. You have a driver in there, but he's just monitoring. He's not touching anything. Um, so it's the, the technology is out there. It's it, it, it's gaining ground. It's it's going to gain acceptance in the trucking industry among the larger carriers over time first, right? Because that's going to require a big investment. But you know, if, if you're going to have a lower cost, better service product out there on the trucking side, that's something that the rail industry is going to have to deal with, and and it's going to have to deal with it in improving their service levels and finding ways to lower their costs through potentially the use of autonomy. Uh, and, and other means and other technologies that they can deploy. So that's that should be number one with a gun for the industry right now and figuring out how to position themselves in the long run. So outside of mergers, the three big themes developing for the next couple of years are, you know, growth levels. What, what's the true growth level now that you've gone through the cost-cutting phase? You know, uh, at CP said it best, and they're already well past it, but, you know, we spent several years looking inwardly and fixing the engine. Now we pivot to growth. Kansas City Southern has talked about service begetting growth, which is why I think it's a pretty good combination there. But you know that's one. The second thing is ESG. It's everywhere. It's the, in the shareholders' whatnot. Railroads talk a lot about it now, and they talk about their big fuel advantage, which means their emissions advantage. So just as trucks are working on AV, they're also working on EV. So as trucks whittle away, we'll remove that advantage. You know that the, the railroads need to respond to that. And then finally, the third issue that everybody's talking about is technology. I think over the last 12 months, the railroads have faced up to this existential threat in a big, big way from investing in too simple to uh, doing hydrogen powered locomotive experiments at CP to all sorts of things like that. But they need to maintain it. It's not a one year, one time project by bringing in people from Wabtec and from from uh, M I'm sorry, Walmart into as CIOs into the rail industry. They need to improve their service. They need to be able to participate better in an e-commerce world. I think they are. I mean, the one advantage they have is a network that is in great condition. You know, they got a, a B, the rest of the US infrastructure got a C minus, highways got a D. So they can make, you know, if they maintain that hardened asset and then take their unbelievably strong financial position and fund technological research development and acquisition, they could do it. The, unlike previous crises, when the railroads didn't have the financial wherewithal, they do now they've got to execute it. So I think Jason and I are in agreement. I'm just saying, I think they made a pivot sometime in 2019 uh, to, to, you know, now, now if you have a presentation, you'll have an ESG slide, you'll have a technology slide. And two years ago, go back and try to find them with the exception of maybe some defensive things and I'm not putting them down like portals. Great stuff. But you need to also have rail pulse, you know, that, that Norfolk Southern and others are working on, you know, visibility projects. There's a lot of stuff to be done they can fund it, they have the money and they're gaining the know-how. And I think they've been scared straight by some of these things, by about seeing trucks roll downhill and have them think that that's actually powering itself. It had, had the impact of scaring the rail managements. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I'll say this right now. I think the rail industry has acknowledged that there's a threat out there and I think they're doing things to combat it. You know, I think they're a long way from quote unquote, solving the issue that's ahead of them. And and well, I, I agree. steps on the technology side you know, especially in sort of those origin destination, total tracking for the shipper right now, just tracking the line haul is, in the, as, as, as we've pointed out in the past. Um, on ESG, Tony can't be more right here. You know, we use a, a, a third party called uh, True Value. 
and we have the ESG scores now on every single wow. that we issue. Um, I'll, I'll say this again, it's a third party, it's not my rating, uh, but surprisingly, the railroads are sort of middle of the road on ESG. Um, that's because it's more of an encompassing, uh, they look at all different aspects, not just environmental uh, impacts as well. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the interesting thing though, is the rails have been at ESG now for well over a decade, they've been producing reports. And in the beginning, the, the reports were really meant for more of the regulators than anything else, right? And, and, and the politicians to show just, you know, how green we are and, 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 and why you need to pay attention to us and why we're important. And now I think there's, there's, there's another benefit right now, because if you look at money flows in my business, nothing has been faster flowing through than ESG funds. Um, and it started out really in Europe, uh, it got big, and now it's here in the US, and it's just, I think, going to continue to grow. So I think companies are going to pay more and more attention to their scores that are out there, and I think that could only help them as investment vehicles. So the number one shareholder for Canadian Pacific, TCI, is an ESG, you know, it's morphed into an ESG investor. Um, so, and I think they're number two at CN, and they're in top five at UP. Uh, and we know that the largest funds in the world are moving in that direction. So it is, I don't know wh where the change is starting, but it's clearly big. The only thing I've argued with them is they're, when they discuss on the E side, the environmental side, the huge advantages they have running steel on steel in terms of emissions, that is a tactical advantage because in Silicon Valley and in Austin, Texas and elsewhere, there are people working on batteries and on hydrogen and other things to eliminate the rail advantage in terms of fuel or at least to narrow it. So that cannot be the only response environmentally, as we know. There are at least three big experimental efforts on locomotives. There's one out of a short line out of, out of Pacific Harbor lines, one of the Anacostia lines in LA. We've got uh, a BNSF and Wabtec op operating one. And you've got CP itself, you know, which is a really interesting side story to the most interesting railroad we've got these days. Uh, so you're right, this is early days, but I think they're beginning to face up to the fact that they're behind. You know, the first thing, that it, right, is acknowledge the problem, then you attack the problem. Yep, yeah, we're in attack mode now. Well, I wanna thank both of you. We're getting near the end of our podcast here. But I do wanna remind everybody that the NEARS Spring Virtual Conference is April 27th to 29th. We have 17 panels lined up for only $99. And you get to hear Tony and Jason again on the 29th. And hopefully they're going to have an update on or a little bit more information, at least on the CPKCS. I, 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 I will say yes, we will. And I'll just point out that for $99, it's worth it just to hear Tony Hatch. Absolutely. And from what I understand, Jason, you will be on video and you promised an interpretive dance of the merger. A absolutely. I'm just looking for the right soundtrack. <laughs> um, Tony, if anybody has any questions, how do they reach you? Uh, you can reach me by email at abh18 at mindspring.com or to reach you and you can forward it or they could, you know, most of these people have my phone number as well. Anybody needs to reach me, John, you know, get them to just forward it on to me or whatever. And, okay. and I look forward to seeing everybody in the fall in Portland, Maine. And, uh, and you know, I can be reached at jason.seidel at cowan.com. Uh, I hope everyone out there is, is safe. And uh, yeah. I look forward to, to all getting together in the fall uh, in person, uh, not only at NEARS, but uh, uh, at Cowan September conference up in Boston. And hopefully I see both of you guys there and uh, everyone just be safe and healthy out there. Well, I want to thank both of you, and I look forward to speaking with you again on the 29th. And again, thank you very much. Have a great day. You too.